No, I'm no, doing no, this. I'm I am do- doing no, this. No, I am doing this. No, it's not you. Wait, we can both do it. Go okay, ahead. Okay, what are you going to say? So what I was going to say is it's time for you to take a little bit of accountability. Okay. Because you have been preaching and praying and saying and teaching and doing about people locking their front doors. Tell America what you do not do. You were coming over and I was recording, so I left the door unlocked. <laughs> Every time I come to this house... That front door is unlocked. I unlock it for you. I can do it with my phone. So you're saying that the door, you can? Yes. So then this was for nothing. Yes. Well, you I... just like to bully women? <laughs> I'd like to take accountability. Go to the music! <laughs> What in the Jetsons? Yeah. You can control the locks from your phone? Yes. I can control everything, but I control you from my phone. My you God. just I have a microchip. Touch the back of your neck. Do you feel that lump? Yeah. There it is. I've got a key the size of Montana, a skeleton key that I put into my old manor to get in, and you controlling shit from your phone. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, foolish mortals. That would be hilarious if you made that be your doorbell. I wish. I don't have a doorbell. They don't have, like, the building's so old. That would be amazing. Baby, you're, you don't even have a doorbell, and you're shocked and befuddled that in 2024 I can lock my door from my phone? Listen, I, I, I'm doing the best I can, okay? I live with two cats, I got a broken heart, and a dead dad. What else you want <laughs> Listen, we've done amazing things. We put a man on the moon and gay people can vote. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome everybody to the podcast (laughs) called I Think Not, where we try and cancel ourselves (laughs) every episode. My name is Ellen Marsh and across from me is Joey Taranto. This is I Think Not. We are not horrible people. If this is the first time you are tuning in, we are horrible people, but we're not homophobes. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Can you be gay in a... Ho- well, you can have internalized homophobia. Anyway, if you liked our show, <laughs> please go leave us a five-star review. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we what we do on this show is we recap true crime documentaries. We give you a different show every month. We're already at the end of True Nightmares, baby. I know. I don't want it to end. I do. Do you? The time has come. Really? The time has come. It has been a deep dive into literal true nightmares where Todd Robbins presides over the hellscape that is this show. Oh, I was going to say we should bring a couple episodes to the Patreon. Well, we're going to have to have a company meeting. But until then. You and me. (laughs) Company meeting. (laughs) Everyone here? Yeah. Joey, great. Everyone write down their feedback. And it's just two pieces of paper and a hat that we pull off. And it's Ellen's a cunt. Joey's a cunt. (laughs) I'm glad we cleared that up. I feel good. We got a great HR department. It's just our moms. <laughs> and they're like, can you two? Can you two stop this? It's just my mom yelling at you and your mom yelling at me. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, no, but if you want more of our nonsense, head over to our Patreon. We got hundreds of bonus episodes. I am going to pitch something to you in front of the dumb bitches. We, right now, are covering forensic files. Loving it over there. But I got to tell you what the people want. What? Snapped. Honey, I did that years ago. Okay, well, (laughs) I'm just saying we cover more of every series that you like. We also give you a true crime adjacent episode of Love After Lockup once a month. We also give you Swamp Talk. What is Swamp Talk, you might ask? It's basically where Joey and I trauma Trauma dump dump. (laughs) on you for an hour. We don't mean 
too. We start out with the best of intentions, <laughs> but we all end up crying. It's all there for you on the Patreon. If you want it, if you don't, who am I? The police? I still love you. Yeah. You know, can we get to the episode? <laughs> we sure <laughs> what can. What are we doing? Go ahead. True Nightmares Season 2, Episode 4, My Beloved Smother. I think it's My Beloved Smother. Great. <laughs> I'm Todd Robbins, and all my life I've been fascinated with stories so strange, so dark, so twisted, it couldn't possibly be true. I have three of them for you. What are you, a chicken? Maybe you're both chicken. The saga of a Halloween night filled with tricks, treats, and death. Somebody help us! Hey, we need a doctor in here! The story of a young newlywed couple I must see to mother that didn't live happily ever after. Get out as fast as you can. Saying goodbye to someone near and dear and the dark surprises it can bring. My God! I guess they're nightmares that have already come true. show we have been told stories from over the decades that have truly chipped away at what little piece I had in my mind. I am now certain that there are demons everywhere twiddling the thumbs and waiting for you to cross their path with their ponytails. Their pointy t- <laughs> their pointy tails, not ponytails. Just demons with ponytails doing the fruit. Like, hey babe, <laughs> I am a fucking demon babe but let me tell you you look fucking snatched keto yeah just bitch. a demon looking like Alyssa Edwards doing tongue pops and fucking long ass acrylic nails being like you like this ponytail yeah but anyway that went nowhere all I can tell you is I'm ready for this nightmare to be over Todd Robbins is in a barn because why wouldn't he be right? every episode he starts in the barn no he doesn't are you gonna make me pull out my phone and show you the start of every episode yeah do it yeah but while he's doing that at the top of this episode, I have the sub-titties on, and the sub-titty <laughs> says, children shouting and laughing. And from my basement in New Jersey, I could feel Joey's eyes rolling all the way to Harlem. <laughs> Not the laughing part, but the shouting. Okay, let me see. Episode two. Okay, he's in a barn. Yeah. Episode three. It's the introduction to true nightmares. Is it? It's okay to be wrong sometimes. Oh, I know. I love being wrong. So every episode of true nightmares starts <laughs> in a barn. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't know that. But this barn is in Texas in 1974, and Todd Robbins explains what Halloween is. Thank you. Yes, yes. We are in Pasadena, Texas in 1974 to tell you the story of Timothy O'Brien, which ironically enough is the year that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. 1974? Yes. You know I don't like horror movies. Do what you Have you ever seen that movie? No, thank you. It is you. truly terrifying. No. So these two children, Elizabeth and Tom O'Brien, are trick-or-treating with their father, Ron O'Brien. And so it's time to call it a night, but the kids are like, one more house, one more house. Okay, okay. One more, but that's it. Yes. Go on. <gasps> Guys, what are y'all waiting for? I think I'm good on candy, Dad. <laughs> what are you, a chicken? Bye. I don't see you going either, cowboy. Maybe you're both chicken. So they walk up to a house that there is nary a light. That means no candy. Yeah. That means yes. I'm home 
but I didn't go to Target. Yeah. So don't come to my house and ring my doorbell because I forgot it was Halloween and I didn't go to Target. So why are you ringing my doorbell? It also means don't ring my doorbell. I don't want your kids sneezing Cheetos and fudge sickle juice all over me. I don't care if it's Halloween, Columbus Day, Easter, 4th of July, December, New Year's Eve, summer solstice, winter solstice. I don't care. Keep them kids off my lawn. You are the grumpiest. You wonder why people say you hate children. I actually can't wait to own a home so I can hand out candy to trick-or-treaters. I legitimately lose track of days. I did not know it was Halloween when it was Halloween, and I had to turn off my lights because I was too ashamed to ask my neighbors for candy. I'm a horrible person. Here, kids, enjoy these corn kernels. Go pop your own popcorn at home. Make some of those popcorn balls. Who wants tampons? (laughs) I went to Costco. But I didn't get candy. Sorry, little Jimmy. I don't have candy. Would you like a half-empty bottle of Dial Soap? Yeah. Who wants Adderall? (laughs) Raise your hands. Okay. (laughs) No. No seconds for you. Yeah. I don't have any candy, but I've got some terrifying stories from church. Would you like to find out what being slain in the spirit is? (laughs) (laughs) So they go up to this house. Listen, we have gotten old because honestly, I didn't have trick-or-treaters this year. But next year, hand to God, as you and all the DBs is my witness, I am going to say trick next year. Oh. Yeah. And I'll be like, balance your checkbook. Uh, Program a VCR. (laughs) That's what I thought. Drive a stick shift. Come back when you grow up. Go find a viable Democrat for president, please. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, then I'll come back and give you a mini Snickers. (laughs) Anyway. Do you remember, I I do love Halloween and I wish that I could have enjoyed it as a child, but do you remember when Jimmy Kimmel did that YouTube challenge for kids? Oh God, it was so To trick your kids into thinking you ate all their candy? It was so mean. Brett Thiel and I quoted it for years and this is my favorite one. Last night we we stayed up and we ate all your candies. Are you guys okay with that? No! No! You're ugly! (laughs) My favorite, Brett and I would look at each other at Spider-Man and go, Dad, you're ugly! (laughs) That's so mean. So back to this story. I'm gonna eat a jawbreaker. One piece of candy before bed. Where's the harm in that? Giant pixie stick. The best. Ah, the giant pixie stick. Sweet sour and they come in four delicious flavors. Timmy's was great. Did you not get to go trick-or-treating when you were little? No, but we handed out candy. because wow. my Yeah, we handed it out, but we didn't celebrate, so I wasn't allowed to trick-or-treat. I didn't know that. But we did have Hallelujah Night. Okay. Every once in a while, where you all went to church and you dressed up as your favorite Bible character, they all had the same fucking costume. Oh. Okay, can we say this for Swamp Talk? (laughs) I feel like this is really going to take a left turn. Both of the kids get to choose a candy. Timmy chooses a candy I was never allowed to have. I was never allowed a pixie stick. I had my first pixie stick when I was like 22. Yeah. We were never allowed pixie sticks. It's pure sugar. It's pure sugar. And I literally wrote, we were never allowed pixie sticks. He gets a pixie stick and he starts to down the pure sugar and he starts coughing. Yeah, he says, oh God, this tastes awful. It's very bitter. And so he's dad gave him some Kool-Aid to wash it down. It was brown water. It looked like he washed it down with whiskey. It, it did look like right? that. Right? 
I but was in like, my wait. side research, it was Kool-Aid. It was Kool-Aid. Yeah. I know it was. And Good for you. So he drinks it down and everyone goes to bed. Uh, his sister Elizabeth had like a jawbreaker or something. Mm-hmm. They go to bed and around 1130 that night, Timmy wakes up and he's very ill. Ugh. This poor baby. He is like sweating and he's swaying. You know when you're just like so nauseous, like just moving back and forth. Oh, poor baby. He got so sick. He lost consciousness. Yes. And his parents had to rush him to the hospital where he died. This is my worst nightmare. Truly. When we were kids, I was so scared our candy was laced with something. Razor blades. Yes. The razor blade story is... That just haunted us. But yeah, he flatlines. Yeah. It is horrible. (laughs) The doctors couldn't figure out what had happened to him. They did a blood test to see what was in his blood, and it was cyanide. And they knew instantly there was a big problem. What? Cyanide in this poor, sweet angel baby's body. What? I can't. So obviously the police are called in, and the mom was like, we went trick-or-treating. They each got to pick a piece of candy. He chose a pixie stick. And, oh, you know what? He said it tasted bitter and not sweet. And they were like, okay. So the police go door-to-door and they collect all the candy from the neighbors to go through, obviously looking for pixie sticks, but they don't know for sure that it was like the pixie sticks. So they're just taking everyone's candy. Yeah, because they don't know what else was in there. And so imagine all these kids yeah, just being like, I spent all night collecting that and the police show up at your door to take your candy, it must have been truly terrifying. And Jimmy so, Kimmel wasn't around in 1974 yeah. to be like, sorry guys, the cops took your candy. <laughs> Dad, you're ugly! <laughs> so the police have to collect all this candy, label it. it it's it's like a, a huge undertaking. It's, it's a nightmare. And so in all, they found four pixie sticks with cyanide in them. Yeah. What is happening in Pasadena, Texas? Fucking hell. So they drive their dad, Ron, around the neighborhood to all the houses that they went to and they were like, let's try and figure out who gave us the pixie sticks. And so they pass by that house with no lights. The house that the kids went to the very last house. And he was like, that house was weird. It was like, well, his lights weren't on. Why did you go there? That's super weird. And he's like, I think that's where we got the pixie stick. So the cops go to the creepy house. Police, Mr. Melvin, do you know why we're here? Of course. Of course I do. Everybody in town knows what's going on. Where were you, Halloween night? I really hate what this show did to us because they make this man look super creepy, super sweaty, really irritable, and the police are like, hi, so where were you for Halloween? And he's like, I was working from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. What's the problem? And they're like, really? Can you prove that? He's like, yes, I can. I was not home. They're like, well, who was home? My wife. What was she handing out? Fucking licorice. Are you okay? What's going on? It turns out this guy was an air traffic controller. You can't really lie about being an air traffic controller. It's not like- You can't fake that shit. Yeah, it's not like somebody picked up your shift at the Cracker Barrel, you know? No, it's not like telling people that you speak ASL and going on the news and showing people that what arrested means is clamping your own wrists. We need to get our cameras back. So they check it out and they're like, yeah, actually he is an air traffic controller and it all checked out. Cut to the funeral. I I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I know. It is awful. It's devastating. The last thing that a father would want to do 
is sing at his child's funeral, but you better believe Ron O'Brien is belting out Amazing Grace in the key of G. I mean... Oh, man. I was like, really, Ron? We're singing at your child? No, absolutely. No. I understand that there was probably a lack of actors who could sing on pitch, but let's just, let's have a, let's have an accordion. I I agree. A recorder. (laughs) I'll take a recorder. Yeah, that's rough. So while this is happening, the police are still canvassing. (laughs) Just to the dad being like, you know, I feel like I should sing. (laughs) I think... I think that'll really mend my aching heart. Yeah, this is all going to make sense. Seems a little callous now. Put a pin in that. So the Should poli- I sing two songs or just one? <laughs> I feel like Aunt Becky really, really loves You Raise Me Up. Oh, God. <laughs> Not even... Not even there in 1974. Anyway. Josh Groban and Ben Platt are really competing for who's got the most machine gun vibrato. Yeah. You raise me up. <laughs> They're like competing against the cowardly lion. If I were king. Motherfuckers. Okay. That's really good. Police do everything they can think of to catch the killer. They test every piece of candy. They retrace the O'Brien steps on Halloween night yet again. They even offer a reward for information, but there are no new leads. The case drags on, and the people of Pasadena wonder if the killer might just get away with murder. So the police are still canvassing the neighborhoods, asking questions, and it's terrifying to think that someone would poison a child on a night that is supposed to be so magical for children. But the police have no idea where else to look until a tip comes in. Right, now we hear from Joel Best, who is a professor of sociology and criminal justice, and his desk should be called ADHD Nightmares because he has <laughs> 10,000 pieces of paper. Uh-huh. He no doubt scooched some over in order to get the camera angle because there is a box of manila envelopes behind him. This man's desk needs a trigger warning. This room is the equivalent of Monica Geller's hidden closet. You know, her junk closet? Yeah. Every, you know, every aunt has that one room. It might be like a study or like a a closet, something, or a room where all the shit is. Yeah. So you, at Christmas, she's like, yes, you can go anywhere. Don't go in that room. Yeah. Don't look at that room. There are so many papers. Mm -hmm. It's just, if you have ADHD, it's like, 20 doom piles. Yeah. That's it. They put out a reward, nothing, but they do get one little tip that comes in because they get a call about an insurance policy. That's right. So it turns out that a week before this devastating incident, Papa Ron had taken out life insurance policies on both little Timmy and little Elizabeth and for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It also turns out that Papa Ron was about $100,000 in debt. Two of his cars had been repossessed. He defaulted on loans. He was a mess. He was, it all totaled about 100K. They're like, huh, though he did sing a rousing Amazing Grace, let's bring old little Ronnie boy in to talk. And he's like, what? I'm looking out for my family's financial future. Uh, Life insurance policies are totally logical. Yeah. You opened it and then you increased it. Almost like you were expecting something. It's a coincidence and you know it. He continued to deny the charges, but the final nail in the coffin for Ron O'Brien was the discovery that he had bought cyanide from a chemical company one week before Halloween. Y'all, this bowl of sloppy nuts poisoned his own child and intended to not just poison his son, but also his daughter. It just so happens that little Timmy had picked the piece of candy with the cyanide in it. Yeah. What the 
fuck. And he wanted it to seem not just like it happened to Timmy. So, you know, they he put it out among the neighborhood or whatever. But thank God. Goodness, no other child suffered. I mean, obviously, it is such a travesty. But yeah, he was fully willing to sacrifice other children and his own child to get himself out of debt. Yep. He tampered with four pixie sticks and put cyanide in them. I I just cannot imagine. And so Ronald Bryan was convicted and sentenced to death. And on March 31st, 1984, he was executed at the Huntsville State Prison with death by lethal injection. While tons of people outside the prison chanted, Trick or treat. That is dark. That really happened. I I believe that. And I I, I don't like that. It makes me feel really weird. Some side research I did on Ron O'Brien said that in the 10 years leading up to Timmy's death, this man had 21 jobs. Mm -hmm. He could not keep a job. His wife had no idea about the insurance policies. And the morning after Timmy's death, Ron had called the insurance company to try to collect immediately on that policy. What the fuck? Fuck. It's so cruel and sick making your child disposable like that. I mean, there is something very, very twisted, very sad. Oh, my God. That Also, that mom. Like, she had no idea. She had no idea. And this monster took her fucking child. Yeah. Well, he was actually charged with capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. But Ron pled not guilty. Don't worry. Um, And his former co-workers also testified saying that, yeah, he was obsessed with cyanide. He talked about it a lot and actually asked a lot of questions about how much cyanide do you think it would take to kill a person? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. What do you say in that HR department for that? Yeah. And so the jury only took 46 minutes to find Ron guilty. And that is that story. What a fucking monster. I am so proud of your side research. Thank you. I really am. Thank you. I just, I I really actually was like, I have to look more into this because I could not wrap my head around being like, you know what the answer to my debt problem is? I will take out life insurance policies on my kids and murder them. Yeah. I I don't understand. Yeah. Because you don't. I mean, that's somebody who is ill. They're ill. They're not well. But look at you side researching. I've never been so proud. Usually you just research one or two things, but you took all that research by yourself. I learned from the best, honey. You are so cute. Laura Ingalls Wilder. I was waiting. You guys, I was waiting. Hold on. I was waiting. I can't believe it took you this long. I cannot. We are- Can I ask you a question? I was waiting. What was life like on- on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> we are live recording right now, and I have been waiting for Joey to talk about my dress. He has been here since, what time did you get here? 7.15? Yeah. Is your favorite book Pilgrim's Progress? Okay. I just, listen, I went upstairs for a sandwich, and I thought, when is he going to talk about my dress? <laughs> Hand to God, when is he going to talk about my dress? Oh, God. You are nothing if not consistent. Listen, um, I I love you in um, Westworld. Okay. It's Ralph Lauren. (laughs) So this poor baby and this poor family, Ron, I hope you're burning in hell and that a demon is poking you in the ass with a pixie stick filled with cyanide, you dumb cunt. Yeah, I hope you're double dutching with Rush Limbaugh. Anyway. We have another story for you. And this is the story of Frank... Duncan. Oh, wow. The bond between a mother and a child. Is there anything stronger on earth? Our mothers are our first protectors, our biggest fans, our greatest teachers. And all they ask in return is that we love them. A mother and a child. Always trying to please each other. Always trying to do the right thing. Always wanting the best. Well... 
almost always. California 1958. I actually have to hand it to the set dressers on this one. That house that they shot this in, wherever that location was, was on point. It was giving you mid-century modern. It was giving you real mid-century modern. Like they found Fred and Wilma and they were like, can we shoot in your house for today? It was epic. It was great. You know, 1958 was the year that gave us Auntie Mame starring Rosalind Russell. Oh. Because who else but a boy somebody will sit down and tell you the truth. Also, 1958 gave us All I Have to Do is Dream by dream. the Everly. Dream, 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 dream. So we went to go see one of our dear friends, Morgan James, last night perform two stories. She said, how's everyone doing tonight, New York? What did Joey say without missing a beat? Alone. <laughs> That's what he said. Hand to God. That is what he said, number one. That's actually not what I said. You said lonely. No, it's not. Oh, what did you say? I said, hello. You thought I said alone. Oh, my. Up until this very moment. (laughs) I thought you said. How's everybody doing? Alone. That's what I thought you said up until this very moment. I thought you said alone. I turned to you. I said, I'm going to say that on the (laughs) podcast tomorrow. Did you hear me say that? I said hello. And I thought you were laughing at the way I said it and how in the clear it was because I didn't wait for anyone to answer. I thought you said alone. (laughs) (laughs) No, before anyone could cheer or clap their hands, she's like, how's everyone doing? And I went, hello. Okay, that's number one. But number two, she said something very interesting. She said, your initial music taste comes from your parents. Mm -hmm. And I will say the only thing my dad did right was really surround me with like 50s and 60s music, like Motown. Like my first songs were all like Beatles, Motown, all of it. I knew Earth, Wind and Fire before I knew anything. Yeah, I did not have that That's the only thing my dad did right. I'm so sorry. Where is that guy? Where is that guy? That's eager young lawyer Frank Duncan. Every day when he gets home from work, the woman in his life is there waiting for him. It's his mother. Home from a long day's work. Elizabeth Duncan. Oh, here, let me take that. Mother and son live together in perfect harmony. Just the two of them. I have so much to say about toxic boy mom culture. Oh, I know you've experienced it firsthand. Well, listen, Frank's mother met him at the door, took off his shoes, rubbed his feet, put on his slippers. She was a toxic boy mom. There is studies that show it's a very, there are certain mother-son relationships that lean very Oedipin. They are in love with their sons. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What does Oedipin mean? Oedipus. Did you ever read? Oh, Oedipus. Yeah. Did I ever read? Just yeah. that. Yeah. Did you ever read? <laughs> Do you know the story of Oedipus? No. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's it's a Greek story of a mother. Well, he fucks his mama. <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? Just get to the point. Have you ever read Oedipus? Does he fuck his mom? Is that the point? Joey, it's that when- they had a weird relationship and it was like the book Sleepwalkers by Stephen King where they turn into tigers and they the guy slept with his mom. Yeah. It's just like... It, or lions or something. Whatever. It's just uh, You like, can't even explain it. It's gross, Joey. It's when moms are in love with their sons. It's my ex-husband and his mother. Okay, great. That's all you had to say. Okay. I didn't need the whole rigmarole. Have you ever read, you know, Oedipus? I don't know Oedipus. I know Edamame, I know Ed Sheeran, and I know uh, Ed McMahon is no longer with us. Okay, <laughs> I don't know Oedipus. Apparently, he fucked his mom. 
what is happening today? I'm just saying. <laughs> Did he? Yes. Okay, well, that's all you had to say. Okay. Anyway, so Frank's mom is named Elizabeth Duncan, and Elizabeth is a little too close to her son. And, you know, it's creepy. Frank is pushing 30. And one night he tells his mom, Mom, look, I work, I live with you, I love you so much, but I really don't think I should live here anymore. I think I'm going to move out. And she's like, what, what, what? And he says, yes, I think it's time. And the next morning, he's brushing his teeth, and he says, Mom... Don't worry about the pancakes. I gotta go straight to work. And mom doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. More on that later. And then he walks into the kitchen where he finds his mother collapsed on the floor. Mother. Change is difficult for many. But for Elizabeth, the news that her beloved son, the center of her universe, was moving out wasn't hard to accept. It was impossible. So the doctor comes and explains that she had a stroke. More on that later. And the doctor is like, honestly, like she can't live on her own. She needs help. She needs care. She needs to be nursed back to health. And Frank was like, okay, no problem. I can't move out. I have to take care of my mother. I have to give her her medicine. I have to nurse her back to health, which he does willingly. He loves his mother. But obviously, he's got a busy job and they need an extra set of hands. So they hire Olga Kupsik from Canada. And she was Elizabeth's in-home nurse. Yeah, and she took great care of Elizabeth, but also Olga and Frank kind of hit it off. I mean, they got to know each other. wearing a nurse's outfit. Well, yeah, they got to know each other biblically, and and I would say, good for y'all. The two fell in love. It, It happened very fast. It became very romantic, and Frank kept this from his mother for obvious reasons for a while, and Olga was like, look, I'm enjoying this. We're having a good time. We're in love. You're gonna have to tell your mom at some point. I'll do it tomorrow. First he was moving out, now he's moving on with Olga. He had to break the news delicately. Remember what happened last time. Mother, I have something to tell you. So they weren't just in love, and Olga was definitely not just peeling Frank's banana. He was like, listen, Mom, we need to talk. Don't be mad, okay? I need to tell you something about Olga. Don't be mad. We have been doing two-person (laughs) push-ups. And she's like, oh, good, you're working out. I'm glad you're staying healthy. He's like, "Mm, no, no, no. Uh, We've been slamming the ham. Yep. And she's like, oh, she made you dinner while I was sick. That's (laughs) lovely. He's like, no, no, no. I've been, I have been stuffing her beaver. Oh, you took up taxidermy while I've been sick? Nope. I have been spearfishing in her ocean. She's like, oh, you always love fresh fish. Get to the point! (laughs) Mom, I'm fucking Olga. (laughs) Also, we're getting married. And she said, what? She's like, what? She said, what? Then she was all. Oh, God. (laughs) And then she said. Help me, Lord. Elizabeth goes. Fix it, Jesus. Then Frank said. This ain't right. And then Elizabeth went. I can't fuck him. She said. Oh, Lord. And then Elizabeth ran to the room. Jesus, come now. Ran out to the neighbors. Oh, Lord, the chariot. And she screamed out on her balcony. I'm not going to make it. And then the neighbor came out and she heard a rustle. What the fuck? And then she went and picked up her phone and dialed her best friend. Help, help, help. (laughs) So Frank was like, please, can I have your blessing? And Elizabeth was like, fuck that. Please. Fuck you. Please, Ma. Fuck her. Ma, I did. We did. Oh, Lord. (laughs) All of a sudden, we're in the South. Fast forward to their wedding day. They get married. And then... Ah, Mrs. Duncan, my bride. Frank. What a night, huh? What a night. 
Frank, it's been such a whirlwind, but now I'm so tired. His mom walks in their house while they're kissing, and Olga's like, um, it's our wedding night? This is our, like, marriage house? And then Frank's like, go wait in the car, mother. We'll talk there. And Olga's like, talk where? Yeah, y'all, his mother is very manipulative, and she's like, I need a ride home, and you're giving me a ride home. And if I were Olga, I would be like, if you want any hope of playing the age-old game of circle my cervix, if you want to play a game of Mr. Wobbly uh, hides his helmet, if if you want to play uh, Let's Take the Gnome for a Stroll in a Misty Forest, you better call Uber or whatever the 1958 equivalent is. Get a ride with your Aunt Vera, your cousin Plukey, Chicken George, uh, the, the, the waiter, the priest, the ushers, somebody. So Frank brings his mom home. He says, I must see to mother. You understand. She's like, uh, I do not understand. It's our wedding night. And he goes. Yeah, see you later, Norman Bates. He goes, and she's like, no, I don't understand, bitch. I want to do the no pants dance. It's our wedding night. I told you nobody has sex on their wedding night. Turns out a lot of people did. I know. We had, we had a whole thread on our Facebook group. Five months later, Olga disappears. Y'all, Olga is missing. She's supposed to show up for Sunday dinner, and she's been gone for three days, and Frank is in a panic. I'm also like, why three days? Why three days? What happened at day half? What happened at you didn't come home for dinner? If I don't hear, I say this every time, but if I don't hear from you for three hours, I'm checking your location and I'm harassing you. I have gotten angry with you. Yeah. When you do not respond. And Actually, you're like, yes. You're like, Joey, I'm doing this. I'm like, that's all you had to say. Remember the night I went to sleep early? Well, that was a different time. So the police go to their house and they ask a bunch of questions. When was the last time you saw her? And he's like, well, you know, she never showed up for Sunday dinner. And they're like, hold it right there. Oedipus, pause, rewind. It's Wednesday. What do you mean she didn't show up for Sunday dinner? Why are you just calling us now? It's fucking Wednesday. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair question. Fair question. They're like, actually, we're going to search your fucking house. And Frank's like, no, no, no. Yeah, search the house. Search the house. Well, y'all, they searched the house. Everything seems fine until... They find Olga's purse. That is never a good sign. No, why would anyone leave without their purse? So they talked to Olga's mother, Olga's mother, Rose, and they were like, Rose, so we're really concerned. How is their relationship? And Rose is here for nobody's shit. Honey, she had some choice words. She's like, they weren't good. They fought all the time. He thought that she wasn't good enough for him. And his mother is a pain in the ass. They fought all the time. She is very unhappy. That mother is always around. She cries. Frank always took her side. She could never find a ride with anybody else. She lived with them half the time. And he lived at her house half the time. Yeah, and Rose was like, I told her to get out, get out, get out. She also, she was just like, that is a supportive mother. This is 1958. A mother who was like, babe, who cares what it looks like if you are this miserable and you are a calling me every day crying, get out, get out of the marriage. Here's the thing. Frank had never mentioned when he was speaking to the police any of this, Mm -hmm. especially the fact that he was still living with his mother half of the time. Yeah. That's a lot. And then this talking head shows up to tell us something that is news to us. Anytime a woman who's married is murdered or disappears, the first focus almost always is on the husband. Oh, wow. Wait, what? On the Wait, what did he say? The Tear word? out the front page. It's headline news. What? Headline news? I, I had no idea. I never knew. I thought you look at the husband. I, I didn't know that. I would I would look at your orthopedist. You think you look at the neighbor? Well, I would think you look at your chiropractor. Yeah, I mean, I mean it could be. Uh, the husband, your husband loves you. He says till death do you part. It's yeah. not going to cause the death if he says till death do you part. It's 
the husband that they look at. I, Babe, do you think this is our first time at the rodeo? Yeah, everyone is just like, every true crime person is rolling their eyes. So they look into Frank's phone records, and then an eager police investigator actor person comes in and goes, Frank Duncan got rid of his wife. <laughs> Well, not literally, because the truth is, is that what they found looking at records at City Hall is that their marriage had been annulled. So they go back to Frank and they're like, why didn't you tell us you got an annulment? And he was like, um, I didn't get an annulment. Maybe that's why I didn't tell you. And he's like, show me that paper. So he looks at the like annulment from City Hall. He's like, that's not my signature. And they're like, oh, okay. Like this, you know, we went to a rodeo just last weekend, sir. Yep. We go all the time. Yep. And he's like, let me show you these documents that I have to sign all the time because I am a criminal defense attorney. Yep. This is not my signature. And the police are like... Yeah, no, cool. Yeah, we noticed that those uh, signatures didn't match. Uh, No big deal. Uh, Do you know who that is? And he's like, isn't that your fucking job, officers? I was like, I mean, touche. Touche. And so now they're back to square one and they don't know what to do. Well, lucky for them, a tip comes in about two men named Luis Moya and Gus Baldonado. And both of these men have a very long criminal history. Oh, yeah. They are like career criminals. And this tipster said these two men killed Olga. So then they bring them in. They split them up. But with little physical evidence to tie these two to the crime, the detectives resorted to the oldest trick in the books, divide and conquer, pitting one suspect against the other. Not your lucky day, Gus. Luis is in there blaming the whole thing on you. You could get the chair for this, Gus. Save yourself. Tell me your side of the story before it's too late. So, it works? Yeah, Gus cracked. Yeah. He's like, we went to her house, we knocked on the door, said that our car broke down and asked to use the phone. Side note, we see the scene, right, of Luis knocking on the door. This reenactment actor studied performance at the Fairhope Alabama School for Day Players. It is the cringiest... (laughs) Scene work I have seen since Army Hammer and Call Me By Your Name. Oh, God. He is so bad. Army Hammer is so bad in that movie. So Olga lets Luis in. And as soon as she does, Gus comes out of nowhere and they almost kill Olga. She's not dead, but they physically assault her. And it's really violent to watch, actually. And so they wrap her up and they bury her. And Gus led the police to her very shallow grave. And it was awful. And so Gus told the police this piece of information that truly disturbed me. Olga was not completely dead when they buried her. Yeah. That is horrible. And you have to be a special kind of fucked up in order to do that to a person. Yeah. So then the police are like, what are you doing? Why did you do this? And they were like, for money. And they said, wait, someone paid you to do this? Who on earth would pay you to do this? And they were like, Elizabeth Duncan. Elizabeth fucking Duncan, what a cunt. And we see this reenactment and she's like, are you Gus and Luis? And basically she handed over a picture of Olga and said, make it hurt. Y'all. It is demented. She paid them half up front and said, when the job is done, I will give you the other half. And so this woman was not going to be undermined or replaced. And she masterminded this idea to have poor Olga murdered. Now remember, Frank was a criminal defender and so Olga had access to these people because he knew people that were like, He had defended them. Yeah, were criminals. With the killer's confession complete, police move in on Elizabeth Duncan, 
monster-in-law. Elizabeth Duncan, you're under arrest for the murder of Olga Kukchik Duncan. What the hell are you doing? Get your hands off my mother. She didn't do anything. What are you doing? Well, it's gonna be all right. Mom, it'll be all right. Stop it, mother. I will not let them do this. So she's arrested. They find out Elizabeth also secretly annulled the marriage. That's right. That was her first attempt to get rid of Olga. And when that didn't work, she hired Luis and Gus to murder her in cold blood. I I don't understand. I just don't understand. And so even though Frank defended his mother at trial, Elizabeth Duncan was given the death sentence. And in 1964, she died in the gas chamber and she was the last woman to be executed in the state of California. And they say her last words were, where's my son? Girl, your next question should be, where's Jesus? Because you're going to be burning in hell. Good Lord and good luck. Did you look up Elizabeth Duncan? I did not because I figured that you had and I was like, I'll do a one off. with Okay, All right. Elizabeth Duncan. She was kind of like a grifter. Like she wrote bad checks. She had little petty scams here and there. She was married 11 times. Excuse me? 11 times. So she would marry men and explain that she would need to be married in order to inherit a bunch of money. Like you know, Nigerian prince style. And then the men would realize there's no inheritance. And then she would shake them down for alimony. Yeah. She was just like a petty, like kind of swindler. So the job they agreed to was for $6,000. Wow. To take a human life. I mean, I'm sure in 1958, that was a lot of money. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know. So originally they were going to drive her to Mexico And then they were going to make her disappear there. But what happened was, this was not included in the episode. This is how they got caught. It wasn't from a tip. They rented a car to go get Olga and make her, you know, quote, disappear. But they got blood everywhere in the car. So they ripped out the upholstery because they didn't want to leave any signs of blood or anything in the car. So they returned the car and they were like, uh, hey, guys, we definitely rented you this car with upholstery. That is like for certain. So then this is fucked up. That's how they got the guys in from the rental car company. They had no case without Luis and Gus testifying against Elizabeth Duncan. And they said that obviously if you testify against her, we won't seek the death penalty in exchange for your testimony. They never got a commitment on that. So they gave their testimony and they gave them the death penalty anyway. Oh my God. I mean, obviously now that would never Never fly. fly. Like, I mean, a defense attorney that failed to make that like concession, that would just like never happen. Wow. And do you want to know the saddest thing? This is really dark. Oh God. Olga was seven months pregnant. Oh my God. Yeah. So Elizabeth knew that and she killed Olga and she killed her grandchild. What a fucking monster. Yeah. And then the last thing is she was asked if she would ever commit the crime again, knowing the consequences. And it says, quote, Duncan didn't bat an eye. You bet I would. Nobody is going to have my son. Isn't that sick? Yeah. True story. It's really, really fascinating. There's a lot of stories swirling on like sexual predation and there's like a lot of things in there. But like that's really sick. I think they intentionally left the fact that she was pregnant out of the show because that 
makes it very dark. dark. Oh, that yeah. poor woman. That yeah. poor woman. Well, I'm sure that Elizabeth Duncan is also burning in hell with gasoline draws on. So we have one more story for you. And that is the story of Priscilla Rivera. The year is 2007 and shocked to no one, we are back in Florida. Lies are tricky. You tell one and then you need to tell another one to cover the first one. And then, well, you can't keep it all straight. But of all the damage lies can do, it's usually the liar himself who suffers the most. Don't lie. Yeah, please don't lie. Yeah, people lie. People lie about stupid stuff. You know what men lie about the most? What? Their height. Oh, that is a thing. Why are you lying about your height? I don't lie about my what? height. What? There is? Why? I saw a TikTok about this the other day where a guy was like, hi, I'm 5'7", and I just went on a date with a guy, and he's his profile said that he is six foot. He is two inches taller than me. I just don't get it. I don't get it either. It's okay. It's okay. I don't care. What is the number one thing people lie about? Men? Their dick size and their height. They, I, I never. You you ask for like a measurement. Um, it's not uncommon for like on a on grinder or something like that or any you any kind ask of scenario. For a measurement? No, I don't. I don't. But sometimes people will be like, you know, you exchange pictures and someone will be like, "How big is that?" And mm-hmm. almost everyone's like, eight inches." I'm like, "On what planet, sir? Okay, right. What are you measuring with?" Yeah. People lie about dumb shit. Also, dumb your shit. lies always catch up with you. Always catch yeah. up with you. Yeah. Have you ever lied to me other than the things you've told me you've lied to me about? No. No. I don't think I've lied to you. you I think the I... time you turned off your location. I kept things from you. <laughs> Anyway, just be honest about your height. So we're in choir rehearsal, and there's an organ player. Do you know how hard it is to play the organ? It's very hard. You've got you're pulling, plugging, pressing, uh, sitting. It's all it kinds of things. It is a lost art, and it is brilliant. Is there an organ player out there? There's an organ player on TikTok that I love to watch. It's oh very majestic. It's... It is very, especially in a cathedral. It's oh. just stunning. And they're like. Uh, it's a lost art. Yeah, I believe it. It's right up there with hieroglyphics. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, we are at choir practice, and um, Tim is the choir director. Do we get a last name? No, it's just Tim. Just, just Tim, straight the up choir Tim. director. He reminds me of the choir director from Guffman. He really does, doesn't he? <laughs> Where he was like, and I won't be doing that this year, which is different. We need to watch Waiting for Guffman on oh, Hallelujah, What's It To Ya. And so the best singer in this choir is Priscilla Rivera. She is the best dancer at St. Bernadette's. Yep. And she is the best singer. She gets all the solos. She's Aveying Maria. She is modulating. She's belting. She's mixing. Some people are just born gifted. And she was born to sing. And she was part of this very close-knit community. They were joined by their faith and their love of music and singing. But people started to see a change in her that was really surprising. She didn't seem herself. She was withdrawn. But she has tardiness issues. She's been late a couple times. And there, people are noticing it. And she's acting weird. But you know what? She was born to sing. You know who else was born to sing? Who? Lady Gaga. So... <laughs> Slowly, everyone is like, what's happening? And she's withdrawing. And also, her voice is suffering. Yeah. Like, her passaggio. She's, like, dropping out of that middle range of her voice. And so, she's trying to sing her solo in rehearsal. It's not going well. And she's like, can I just have a minute? And she runs out. And everyone is like, something is going on. So, Tim goes and follows her out into the hallway. And he's like, what's going on, sweetie? You can tell us. You're... Deo has no egg Chelsea's right now. It does. (laughs) I don't understand what's wrong with your Deo. 
you. We're joking about this now. Just trust us. And so Tim's like, what is going on with you? And she says, Tim, I'm really sick and it's not going well. And it turns out that Priscilla tells Tim that she has stage four brain cancer and she is losing her battle. Yeah. So Tim is distraught. He's very close to her. I mean, that is horrible. I mean, I, you know, my yeah. stepdad died of brain cancer. It is a thief. Yeah. And so Tim sits down the choir and he's like, I just wanted to give you some news about uh, Priscilla. It's some sad news. You know, she's been late lately a lot and she has not been feeling well. The fact of the matter is she has cancer. She tells me that it's very serious and that she says she doesn't have much time. Everyone's doing their best to uplift her, to make her feel comfortable and seen and validated. They love on her and they're like, Priscilla, it's going to be okay. We are here for you. And eventually Priscilla is getting sicker and sicker. She can't do her solos anymore. She's singing just in the choir until she's so sick she can't come to church anymore. Yeah. And two weeks later, Tim gets a call from Jennifer Rivera, who the choir all knows by name because Priscilla talks about her sister all the time. And Jennifer gives Tim the news that Priscilla has sadly passed and he is devastated. And he is like, oh my God, are the services going to be here at church? What can we do? And Sister Jennifer is like, no, actually her body is being sent to New York and the services are going to be there. And they're really upset about this. And so they say, you know what? We're just going to throw a memorial service at our church for her. And they invite Sister Jennifer. She comes. It's beautiful. And they all meet Jennifer. And they're like excited to meet Jennifer. They all knew who she was. And during the service, even choir director Tim was like, Jennifer, would you like to stand up and say something? It's very lovely. Yeah. And she's just like, thank you for being here. I'm so happy you came. So she was there. There was a picture of Priscilla and they all pay their respects. I just want to thank you all for having this memorial. You all meant so much to my sister. I even feel like I know some of you. So three days later, there were some things left in the church, you know, around, like, in her locker, whatnot. And Tim is like, you know what? Robe. Yeah, her robe. Hymnal. And so he's going to bring it back to her sister Jennifer. So he goes to Priscilla's house in order to drop those things by so that the family has her affects. Yeah. And Tim knows that Jennifer is staying at Priscilla's house while she's in town. And so Tim goes over there and he hears singing. As he approaches the door, he hears beautiful singing. And it's not Patti Lapone telling us not to cry for her, because you know the truth is she never left us. No, it is fucking Priscilla, alive and well and singing Ave Maria like she doesn't have a care in the world. And Tim, the choir director, is watching her sing her heart out through the window like she's one of the nuns in Sister Act. And Priscilla turns around and locks eyes with Tim. Honey, how are you going to explain this? And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, I can explain. I mean, I guess Jesus resurrected. I guess Priscilla, the resurrection of Priscilla can happen too. Oh, y'all. 
Tim is mortified. Priscilla is also mortified. And Tim is out of there. He's not wanting to hear her excuse. He is gone pecan. He was like, I'm not sticking around to watch this. This woman faked her death. We all cried and mourned and heaved. Your sister showed up. All this stuff. We even had a potluck in your name. We put a plate with your name on it on one of the pews. We even removed Sister Mary Clarence's uh, nameplate from one of those pews so we could make room for your bitch ass. Fuck you. Fuck her. Fuck your sister. Where is your sister? Fuck all of y'all. Fuck this. I quit the choir. And so, y'all, Priscilla faked the entire thing. The entire thing. And Todd Robbins is like, yeah, I mean, I guess she just wanted attention. I was like, what? I mean, so many parts of this plan were not thought out. And she wasn't running from anything. She wasn't trying to get money. No, she wasn't doing anything. She just liked the attention that she got. And what's even crazier, she dressed up. She put a wig on and posed Mm -hmm. in a big-ass hat and big sunglasses, posing as her sister Jennifer, so that she could go and watch everyone crying over her at her own funeral while simultaneously getting attention for her sister, for being her sister, her grieving sister. And there is no law in Florida that says you can't fake your own death. Crazy. I want more crazy laws in Florida of things that are legal. A few years after this strange incident occurred, Priscilla was the center of attention at another funeral. But this time she wasn't one of the mourners. This time she was in the coffin. Priscilla died for real, this time from heat stroke. At least that's what the medical examiner's report said. And those reports, they never lie. Now, let me tell you, I researched this. I don't know if I just didn't do a good enough job. I think this is a very changed up story of a Mexican singer by the name of Jenny Rivera. I looked that up. Is it her? I don't know, but I looked it up. Because I can't find Priscilla Rivera. It could be like her name was changed, but there is a Mexican-American singer by the name of Jenny Rivera. We're talking big singer. She had like 15 gold albums, 15 platinum, five double platinum albums, like a real, real singer that said she died in a plane crash in 2012 and there is no record of her death and people think she's still alive and she just wanted like her music to catapult a la Selena. Right. Is that what you found too? I could not find anything by the name of Priscilla Rivera that wasn't a volleyball player. No, that's all that name kept coming up and I was like, who is this? I can't, I couldn't find a So I don't know if that's like, if if it's another story, I'm going to do some more research. But I mean, Jenny Rivera also faked her death. I don't know. I don't know. But y'all, that's where the story ends. That's where the story ends. I was like, what does she she doesn't get charged? She's just like, peace out. Can I have my solos back now that you know? I mean. Who else is going to sing the top line in uh, Eagle's Wings? I mean, imagine how awkward that is. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to email Todd Robbins if I have to. I have his personal email. I'm going to. He's not going to. He's going to be like, Ellen, I don't remember. Remember that. <laughs> well, he lives in Hell's Kitchen. Y'all, that brings our time with True Nightmare to an end. Can we do one more? No. Do you really not like it? I no, really I like don't this really, show. I don't really, I mean, I, I I have a hate-love relationship with it like I did Frogger. Okay, I mean, everyone misses Frogger, Joey. Thank you so much, Down Bitches. Please let us know what 
shows you want to see next. We're doing Forensic Files on our Patreon. Don't forget to sign up. If you're bored over the holidays and you want to ignore your family, we love hanging out with you. We are also doing, let's see, by the time you hear this, we will have already had a movie night. We're going to have a community movie night with all of our patrons. We're going to watch Elf at some point. Look for that. And I haven't told Joey this, but I want to do a trivia night for Christmas. Like old school trivia, like real trivia, general trivia. That's fun. We're doing it. Okay. We do all kinds of stuff. We're here for you. We're here to build community and be your BFF and we love it. Follow us on social media. Tell them where, Joey. Well, you can find us on all platforms at I Think Not Pod. You can also join our Facebook group. We have all kinds of discussions in there and chit-chatting and um, we have our small business Saturdays once a month. We also do personal posts on Sundays and Wednesdays and we, you know, we want to talk about true crime, all the good things and that is called the I Think Not Podcast Facebook discussion group. I have gotten so many great gifts on our Small Business Saturday. We have hundreds of DBs that run small businesses and we have such an awesome community. You can post your stuff and I have bought, I bought probably like 10 or 12 little gifts for Christmas. It's amazing. I love our community so much. Yeah. I got some things too. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at It's Joey Taranto and you can find Ellen at Ellen Marsh, Ellen with a Y on Instagram as well. And if you're feeling fancy, go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Say something nice. Say something nice. Say something cool about my hair and my toes and Ellen's pilgrim dresses. I love you, Joey. I love you too, Ellen Marsh. Love you, dumb bitches. Love you, Davey. We love you, Rick. We're sorry we're a mess, but we love you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Usher, Usher Raymond, he's just showed up and was like, I just wanna take it nice and slow. Do you know it? Uh-uh. Now, baby, tell me what you wanna do with me. Uh-uh. Really? You don't know Usher from the 90s? I mean, I know Usher. You ruined this joke. It's so hot in here. <laughs> I, we're recording late at night. I know. This is what's happening. Cut that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> 